not only just um, be there to greet at the door, but to really provide a space to, to make this a place where um, when you come in, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what uh, relationship you have to this you leave, you leave feeling known, you leave feeling cared for and loved. Um, and so that goes into uh, being uh, there at the door to greet, to answer questions, to make sure the place looks clean, to just generally uh, feel uh, cared for and known and present. So, um, everybody on the hospitality team, thank you for everything that you do, all the ways that you care and love for our church. If that is something that interests you, if you'd like more information about that, you can use those connect cards that I talked about earlier, uh, Circle Hospitality and... Uh, um, Sarah will reach out to you and get you some more information and hopefully get you plugged in. So um, thank you for everybody on the hospitality team. Um, so this morning, um, well, let's just put it out there. It's weird. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird time. Uh, I have never really experienced something like this before where the day-to-day life has been so affected by something so out of our control. Uh, it seems like every day there are new developments, new developments, changes in information. Um, we talk often here about how noisy this world can be, that we are constantly being bombarded with noise, information, ads, and uh, this is no exception. I'm sure like me, your social media, your email inbox, your TV viewing have been overtaken by everyone's opinions and infographics and thoughts and responses and memes regarding the coronavirus. Um, I've been racking my brain to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to say this morning, uh, knowing that um, we come here looking for, uh, when you come to church, you're looking for stability and hope and and comfort. Um, And I came to this realization, even just last night, actually. um, I was running through the sermon last night and and came to this realization that the really great thing uh, is that lucky for me and for you, is that we have been given the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword word of God. And God has, as he has been doing throughout this series that we have been looking at, he has brought us to yet another name of his that I think is pertinent and important and just the right revelation of his character at the right time. Uh, So this morning, we are going to continue. We've been looking at this My Name Is series where we've been looking at the different names of God and the way he reveals himself to us. And so starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to move into the New Testament as we get closer and closer to Easter. Uh, And so today we're going to look at the name of God revealed in John 1, the Lagos. Uh, And it is my hope and it is my desire and prayer for all of us that in these times of confusion and uncertainty, that as we read the word, as we study the word, as we meditate on the word, and we allow the word of God to do what it was made to do, we are reminded that we are going to find our peace, our joy, our satisfaction, and our hope in the only true place that it can be found, in the God of all existence who is in control of all things all the time. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in uh, to John 1. So please uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good all of the time. Lord, we are thankful that at times like this, we can say that you are our refuge and our fortress. You are the God in whom we trust. That we rest in the reality that you deliver, you cover us with your shield of faithfulness, you are present with us. Lord, thank you for the promise that when we call, you will answer that you will be a help in times of trouble, that you will rescue and be present with us. 
God, grant us wisdom and peace and unity as a people. Grant the leadership of not only this country, but this world. Wisdom and discernment, unity. Help those doctors and researchers and uh, engineers and, and chemists be really good at their jobs. Help them to, to do really well. Lord, we pray that um, through all of this we are reminded that you are in control of all things and that uh, at the end of the day you will always do what is best for not only our good but for your glory. And we pray that you would get all the glory and honor and praise as we walk through this. Lord, grant us peace and unity and wisdom as we move through this. And as we open your word today, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to understand, and spirits that are willing to respond to what you have for us today. As I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in John 1, uh, starting in verse 1. So we'll read a few verses, and then we'll come back and talk about it. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's stop there. So as I said, we're going to talk about the Lagos this morning, and we're going to look at different elements and different reasons why it is good that God reveals himself to be the word, the Lagos, to us this morning. Before we get into those points, I want to uh, talk a little bit about this phrase, about this idea of the Lagos, and kind of give a little bit of background understanding. When John talks about this, when he brings up the word, he's doing so writing to uh, not only to Christians who know about God, but to uh, maybe Gentiles, maybe people who have just entered into the family of God. And so um, the word, logos, in the Old Testament, the word of God is associated with God's work of creation and deliverance and revelation. His work here in existence of revealing himself to us happens through his word. It's by his word that creation happens, right? In Genesis, we see God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be water, there is water, there is land. All of these things, creation happens by the word of God. Oftentimes, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see uh, a phrase that says something like, the word of the Lord came to me, or the word of the Lord came to the prophet and said. That's God revealing himself to a prophet, to a person, speaking a word of deliverance or hope or care in the midst of oppression and suffering. God's word bringing with it action and movement. It is active and living. It calls us to respond. When God speaks, it is not just for general knowledge and information. It is a call to respond to what he has to say. In the book of Proverbs, the idea of wisdom uh, which finds its very root in God, is heavily personified as being actively involved and engaged in the world, drawing us back to God. To talk about the word of God in the Old Testament is to talk about God revealing himself to his creation and inviting them to respond to what they have experienced. And then you fast forward to the time of John's gospel, and it's written, and you have this concept of the logos amongst philosophers and Greeks and Stoics. They saw it as the secret sauce that kept the universe moving. The thing that brings order to the chaos, that makes sense of the senseless. It is this distant, unconnected existence that fuels our very lives, the logos. This distant concept 
that millennials sat around trying to figure out. That's what it was in the New Testament. There was this idea. So regardless of what your background was, regardless of where you were coming from, when John writes his gospel, John is tapping into the connection to the word, the logos. However you might see the logos, the word, John is going to bring clarity and light to it. And he's going to say, yes, it is wisdom. Yes, it does have power and authority. It reveals the very nature of, of God. It is the one who created, holds, maintains this existence, but it is not a distant, separate, vague concept. It is a he, a personal revelation of God in Jesus. And so we see right at the beginning, John says, in the beginning was the word. We find that the logos is eternal. In the beginning was the word. We talked about the name of God, Elohim, a couple of weeks ago, a while ago, actually. Elohim being the creator God, the one who is outside of time and space, who is not subject to his creation, who is outside of all of these things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Before there is anything, there is God. The beginning begins with God, and he decides when it begins. The beginning finds its start in God. He is outside of time and not subject to the creation of time. He starts the beginning, and he is an uncreated, eternal God. John here is drawing a parallel back to Genesis 1, back to the beginning. In the beginning, God in Genesis 1. Here in John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Right there in the beginning where there was only God, he's saying the Word was there too. Right there with Elohim, before there was anything else, there was the Logos. And not only, he was, not only was he there, he was with God. And the Word was with God. He was there and united to God in close relational proximity to God, had a connection, has a relationship with him. The Logos was not created, but just was, because the Logos is eternal, has no beginning, has no end, is outside of time. He has always been existing before the beginning. He has no beginning, he has no end, he will continue forever. He has no creator. He was is, and always will be. You and I, we said this when we talked about the Elohim, you and I are finite beings with a limited scope and a limited understanding and can't fully grasp the idea of being outside of time, not being controlled by the ticks on a watch. But we find in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The Logos was with God before the beginning began. He is, in, he is God's eternal close fellow. In eternal, perfect, deep relational unity with God. Has no beginning, has no end, has no creator. Not relying on anything or anyone. Perfectly self-sustained. And this can happen because it says that the word is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The logos is eternal, and the logos is God. Philosophers, pagans, deep thinkers with sweet goatees, you were this close. Yes, the Logos does bring order to the chaos. Yes, the Logos does maintain order and brings everything together, but the Logos is not a distant, unidentifiable concept. It is a he, and it is not an agent of God, but God himself. We saw that the word is with God, which means it is separate. It is its own being. The Logos is separate from Elohim, from God the Father. 
Randolph Tasker says that the word does not by himself make up the entire Godhead. Nevertheless, the divinity that belongs to the rest of the Godhead belongs also to him. John is saying, yes, there is God the creator, God the father, and there is also God the word, God the logos. The logos is God's own self revealed to us. Everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about the Lagos. In him dwells all of the wisdom, glory, power, love, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of God. In him, God the Father is known to us. Skip down to verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Lagos was there in the beginning, but he didn't just exist. He wasn't just sitting by and watching things happen. He was actively at work in the creation of all existence. Nothing was created without him. He is actively and intimately involved. He knows and created every nook of every cranny of every part of creation. So it makes sense that life itself is found in the Lagos because he was involved in making life itself. And that's what we see in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Logos is eternal. The Logos is God. The Logos is life and light. This word life here is zoe. It is not the human biological life, not just being able to function as a, as a body, but rather um, your spirit, your very soul, your very existence. That life is found in the word. He is responsible for that. Not only is life found in the word, but light, holiness, security, revelation, deliverance, truth. These are the things tied to the idea of light, especially in John's gospel and later on in his letters to the church. We've talked often about walking in the darkness versus walking in the light. Right? You walk in the darkness, you have the danger of the unknown. You have the danger of tripping and falling over something, falling in and hurting yourself. In the light, you can avoid and find safety, and you can avoid danger a little bit easier. That light, that safety, that protection, that deliverance, that is found in the Logos. Safety and security is found in the existence of the Logos, who is eternal, who was with God in the beginning, and is in himself God. And we see in verse, light, in verse 5, this light that shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it has not, will not, cannot overcome it. Some translations might say cannot comprehend it, cannot take hold of it, cannot conquer it, cannot grab and declare, nope, that's mine. Darkness is not the conquering of light. It is the absence of it. As soon as light is introduced, darkness is pushed back. Darkness cannot conquer light, and the Logos is light. No matter how dark it may get, that does not mean the light has been conquered. The light cannot be conquered by anyone or anything ever at all. We see that in Jesus' final day. On Good Friday, he is crucified. And darkness literally falls on the land. The world is covered in darkness. It seems like the bad guys have won. Darkness is going to be there forever, but it isn't. The darkness does not last forever because on Sunday morning, Jesus was alive and the light shone brightly and expelled the darkness of sin and death that plagued humanity. That anyone who would put their faith in Christ, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, would find this light, who would experience this light, this safety, this holiness, the security and revelation of God, would have the forgiveness of their sins, would not be plagued by 
the fear of death, and the control of sin, but can have new life found in Jesus. Jesus, the true light, the Logos, pushed back against the darkness and showed that light will not be conquered by darkness. Light and life are found in the Logos, are found in Jesus, in putting your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. The Logos is eternal, has no beginning and no end. Is God himself, is light and life, is the very source of all goodness, holiness, security, and our very existence. And we find in verse 14, if you want to skip down to verse 14, he is also grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, this logos that is eternal, that is God, that is light and life, cannot be extinguished, cannot be defeated, took on flesh and dwelt among us. God came to earth, was born a baby, had to learn how to walk and talk, had to learn and grow and mature, had to learn all the things that we have to learn growing up, had to learn fire is hot, knives are sharp, cheese is delicious, the vital elements of growing up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Once again, you philosophers, the Logos is not an abstract idea, it is tangible. It is the full revelation of God in the flesh. His glory was seen. His glory was experienced. Grace and truth were exposed and experienced. The Son of God came to earth to bring grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is eternal, is God, is light and life, is grace and truth. He is the creator and sustainer of all existence. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is wisdom in the flesh, revelation, deliverance, hope, All of the things, all of the ideas and words and concepts associated with the word in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. He is even all of those things that the philosophers saw as the Logos, but he is so much more than them because he is not distant and unconnected. He is personal. Jesus took on flesh, came to this earth for you and me. Literally, the phrase dwelt among us literally means to set up a tent. God came to earth, looked around and said, yep, this is a good spot to stay a while. And he put up a tent and he hung out and lived and dwelt and had a full human experience, full human life. He came to earth, the only son, the one of a kind, the unique, the set apart one. He did so that we might experience grace and truth and experience the glory of God. The word made flesh manifests the gracious covenant character of God. 
Because thousands of years before Jesus shows up, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham and tells him, you are going to have descendants, and through those descendants, you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing to others. That blessing comes in the form of Jesus. Before God enters into humanity, the Logos takes on, because God enters into humanity, the Logos takes on flesh to be a blessing, to be a blessing to us. He lives a sinless, spotless life, allows himself to be betrayed and abandoned and arrested and beaten and executed, and in doing so gives us grace and new life. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. What we were given was the forgiveness of our sins, was a new relationship with God based completely on the perfect righteousness of the Lagos. The adopting of us as the children of God, him giving us the inheritance because we are his children, all of that and so much more we receive through putting our faith in Jesus. And note that Jesus is grace and truth. Not one or the other. Not one more than the other. Grace and truth together found in complete fullness in Jesus, which should be a reminder to us as we deal with one another and with the world around us. We cannot just be about truth to the exclusion of grace. We tend to want to focus on one or the other, but both are needed. Yes, there is grace and forgiveness and mercy always in excess, always available to us at the cross, always there from God. But that doesn't mean we ignore the truth of Scripture. It doesn't mean we don't say when Christ says and interacts with sinners and he says, go and sin no more, he calls them to live a new life. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is grace. But there's also truth of Scripture. And at the same time, yes, there are areas and places where God is going to call sin what it is. There are black and white areas where you are either walking, pursuing God or pursuing sin. And we need to be able to call that out, especially amongst our brothers and sisters, and say, hey, you're not living in accordance to the life you claim to live. Yes, we need to speak truth to one another. But we do so with grace. We do so not to try and not to try and make ourselves out to be better than each other, not to try and wag our finger, but saying, I love you and I want to see you living fully and thriving, and so I want to do this in a way that is gracious. Grace and truth, these things go together. These things work together, and Jesus is full of both. And Jesus is the glory of God made accessible. Because before Jesus, it was only in the temple and only in the tabernacle that you could experience the glory and presence of God. But that tabernacle, that tent is no longer needed because Jesus brought his tent, came to earth that we might experience the glory of God through knowing him. The word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us and dealt with this life. The seriousness, the pain, the hardships, the suffering. God knows what it is like to suffer, to experience abandonment, to experience trauma and chaos and upheaval. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by the fear and doubt and worry and uncertainty of the world. He experienced it all in the flesh. He had a full human experience with complete human emotions. He was fully and completely human. He weeps at Lazarus's tomb. He gets hungry and needs to eat. He gets tired and needs to sleep. He had a full human life. Your fears, your worries, your doubts, your uncertainty. God doesn't just see that from afar and say, man, that must be really tough. But rather, God can sympathize and empathize with you. No, instead, he can say, I've been where you've been. 
I have felt what you have felt. I know you are hurting. I know you are suffering. I promise I am bigger than this. I promise that I am better than this, and I've got you, so trust me. Trust in the eternal word, in the word that is God, in the word that is light and life, the word that is grace and truth. Trust in the word that goes beyond what this world has to offer us or what this world says. Trust in the word who is eternal, who was here before anything existed and will last long beyond anything else. Jesus is the logos, is the word, the word that took on flesh and he did so for a purpose, to give us an access and a connection to God that, as his creation, we didn't have before Jesus, to give us a relationship with God. We talked a few weeks ago about God being Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace. Shalom is not just the absence of war, the absence of fighting, but seeking your best. That's what we get through Jesus, a superior peace, a peace that transcends anything and everything else in this world. In John 16, it says that I have, Jesus is speaking, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Being a Christian doesn't mean you get to avoid all of the hardship doesn't mean you get plucked out from the scary uncertainty. doesn't mean you get wrapped up in bubble wrap and protected. What Jesus says is that no one is bigger, no one is better, no one is greater, no one is grander. He has already overcome. Already everything has been made subject to him because he is the creator of all creation and all of it is subject to him. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul doesn't say you're going to be taken away from all the bad stuff. You're going to be super protected if you become a Christian. But instead, what Paul tells the church, as he is chained up in prison, he tells them, pray. Pray in all things. Give thanks to God in all things. Make your request to be known to God, and you will have peace. Peace that does not make sense. Peace amidst chaos. Peace in the turmoil. Peace in the uncertainty. God will protect your heart and mind when everything else is upside down. God will be with you and watch over you and grant you a peace that does not make sense in this world. I want to read one more passage for you. It's Psalm 46. It's one of my favorite psalms. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear when the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, 
how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He will be exalted. He is the refuge. These are declarations. These are promises from God himself. Do we actually believe it? I ask you that question often on Sundays. Will you actually live like this actually matters? Like your faith actually matters? Will you live like you actually believe Jesus is who he said he is? That the Bible is the living word of God that still matters, that's still living and active and plays really well in 2020. Will you live like it actually, like God is still actually in control of all things all the time? Now, that does not mean that we ignore what is happening. It does not mean we stick our heads in the sand and say, well, God's in control, so I'm not going to pay attention to any of the things going on or pretend like nothing is happening. Instead, we step into the situation eyes open, hearts and minds paying attention and ready to respond with grace and peace and mercy and to be a comfort. Like all of you, I am not entirely certain of the severity of the situation we find ourselves in. Here's what I know. I know that fear and panic and worry and anxiety, these things are all over the place right now. While they are always all around, they have been tuned up to a whole new level. You see it in the empty shelves at the grocery store. You see it in social media posts. You see it all over the news stations. Here in the midst of that, we have the chance to be a voice of peace. We have a chance to love our neighbors through simple things like proper hygiene. Like for it, we do not confused or scared, but rather we have the chance to have a conversation and let people know that the living and active God who brings peace is actively, intimately involved in the world. He is paying attention and not shocked, surprised, or confused by anything going on. I don't know what tomorrow or what the next few weeks are going to bring, but I do know that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the word of God The Lagos, Jesus, again, is not shocked, overwhelmed, worried, or afraid. And so my prayer for us is that as we move forward, maybe with some extra time on our hands, we might open this word, that we might open the word of God and be nourished and comforted by the word, the Lagos, God himself, who is eternal, who is in control of all things, that ultimately bring all glory and power and point all glory And remind people all power belongs to him. Jesus is the word. The word made flesh who dwelt among us for you and for me. That's how much he loves. That's how much he cares. That hasn't changed. That hasn't stopped. We can find comfort and rest in those things. We find comfort and rest in the Lagos. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Because you are above and beyond all things. You are in control of all things we don't always understand. We can't always comprehend. 
why things happen the way they happen. God, help us to rest and be okay knowing that we know you. Knowing that we have, you have revealed yourself to us. That even in these last 10 or 12 weeks, whenever it is that we've been studying the, your different names, you've revealed yourself to us, and we've seen these different parts of your character come shining through, that even in just that, in what we have experienced through that, we can find comfort and rest and know that you are in control, that, know that you are the God of peace, that you are the God who heals, that you are the God who comforts, you are the God who is in control of all things. You are the good shepherd. God, grant us wisdom and peace. Help us to not avoid. Help us to engage with the world around us. Even that that just means virtually through texts and calls and emails. Help us to be that source of peace, to remind people that you are in control. To be a comfort. To be a help. To take all of the things you have called us to be and to actually live them out. God, you have given us this chance. You have laid before us this opportunity to be the hands and feet, to be the representatives, to be all of the things. We talk about you being, you call us to be. God, these are the kind of moments, these are the kind of times where the church has the opportunity to step in and to point people to you. Give us the understanding of how to best do that. Give us the boldness to best do that. God, help us to trust you. Remind us of that peace that you will grant us. That peace that overwhelms and suppresses all of everything else. Grant us that peace and help us to point people to other people to that peace as well. God, we ask that you move in the midst of this situation throughout the world. You are in control of all things. God, we ask that you move in a mighty and real and tangible way throughout this world. Where people got to stand back and just say there's only one explanation for why things change so suddenly, and that's you. God, we thank you that you don't hide us from these things, that you haven't just plucked all of the Christians out from whatever this situation is, but rather you leave us here and you trust us enough to be this light that you have called us to be. So Lord, help us to live into that calling. We thank you and praise you for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.